Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. I I shared with the first service that I was thinking about uh, making my costume Hulk Hogan this year, and uh, everyone just stared back blankly at me. So I'm not going to share that with you. Uh, Apparently, we don't have a church full of 80s wrestling fans that understands uh, how I was raised. So uh, my backup costume is just to go as a pale redhead, and I think it's going to work really well. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, But I hope that you can prioritize and be at that event uh, with us. Uh, That is always just, like like Trig said, an incredible night where we can uh, love on our city and where we can um, just, just kind of uh, be the, the, the welcome mat, kind of the, the front porch to how we minister to our town and even, even uh, people coming to our church. And so I hope you can prioritize and be a part of that. Um, I, uh, I've mentioned before uh, that I come from a, a pretty musical family. My, uh, my grandpa uh, grew up in West Virginia. And so when you grow up there, you either have to play the jug or the harmonica. He chose the harmonica. I think that's how that works. So, uh, and, and, and he decided that everyone in our family was going to play some instrument. And so when my dad and my uncle were young, uh, they, they basically just got in a, a J.C. Whitney catalog and ordered two instruments. And they said, you're going to play this one and you're going to play this one. Uh, my uncle drew the short end of the straw and it was decided that he was going to play the accordion, right? Uh, now you're, you're laughing. You're like that that's terrible my dad got to play the guitar and back then it really was kind of 50 50 they were both super cool instruments as my dad explained it uh but but if you you look at the future trajectory the guitar kind of had some staying power the accordion not so much right uh you probably haven't uh turned on wnci recently and thought like that new accordion track is my jam, right? That's my bop. I love listening to that. It's just, it's awesome, right? The accordion has just kind of disappeared other than polka culture. And, uh, and yet the guitar has, has had some staying power. And, and even still, as you listen to music now, it's amazing uh, how much of the music we listen to is made by electronic instruments or is done on a computer or you see bands using backing tracks. And so music has progressed and there are certain things that, that, that just aren't around anymore. And yet music hasn't changed, right? Melody hasn't changed. The fact that a song can get stuck in your head hasn't changed. The fact that a song can pull on our emotions or describe a certain time in life or take us back to a certain time in life hasn't changed. And the fact that we like to go to concerts and experience that has not changed. And yet some of the methods, some of the delivery, some of the things uh, that, that we use to enjoy music have completely moved with culture. Speaking of culture, we uh, these last couple weeks have been doing this series called Blurred Vision, and this is to continually reestablish our culture as a church. As we've just gone to two services, we know that sometimes uh, we can be so excited about a lot of good things happening that we kind of forget who we are or we kind of uh, get off course. And so we have always said that our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We have always said that we want to point people to Jesus. We want to see them in community. We want to see them in groups. We want to see them gathering together. We want to see them giving their gifts on volunteer teams. And we want to see people taking the gospel to the world. But sometimes as we talk about that, as we're in the midst of that, as we're around that, it loses its effect and we drift and we forget what we're doing. And so this morning, we want to talk about the fact that the gospel has not changed. God has not changed. Our mission has not changed. And yet the culture that we find ourselves in is continually evolving, continually changing. And so what does it look like for you and I as believers who are living on mission to take the unchanging gospel to an ever-changing world? Well, to, uh, to begin to talk about that, we want to go to Acts chapter 2 today. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 2 with us. We're going to be in verse 1 of Acts chapter 2. There's a Bible probably under your seat, around your seat, behind your seat. 
somewhere there. And I want you to know that if you don't have a copy of the Bible, that is our gift to you. You can take that home. But we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 on page 831. And just to give some background, the book of Acts is a couple books into the New Testament. We see the beginning of the New Testament, starting with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are the story of the life and ministry of Jesus. And the book of Acts kind of picks up right at the end of the ministry of Jesus. And it tells us about the, the building of the church, the, the growth and, and birth of the church. And so we want to jump in here to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, and talk about what does it look like to be on mission for all time with the gospel. It says this in verse one. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Pyrgia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Maybe you didn't expect the, the Bible to talk about being drunk today, right? All right, we'll, we'll get to that here in a second. But we said that the Gospels tell the life and ministry of Jesus, and the book of Acts is really the birth and beginning of the church. As Jesus was concluding his earthly ministry, after he had, he had died, he'd been buried, he'd resurrected, been raised from the dead, and, and as he was leaving earth, he said, I'm going to send one after me who is greater than I. He said, I'm going to give the Holy Spirit to Christians, to Christ followers, to the church, to guide you, to walk with you, to invest in you. And those are some of his last words. And then he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you to be with my father in heaven. And so this group of believers, this small church, they were waiting and sitting. They, were, they didn't know what the Holy Spirit, when he was going to come, what it was going to look like, exactly what was going to happen next. And this is the event that happened next. This one's not, not normal, right? Because, because some people are looking on at exactly what's happening when the Holy Spirit shows up and they're saying, are these, are these people drunk? What's, what's going on here? Well, I want you to check out this, this next passage because Peter steps up and, and kind of clarifies this for the crowd. In verse 14, it says, then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. All right, so there's your, take some notes, okay? Uh, that's why you guys come to the late service, right? Because you're more of a 1045 crowd. Okay, no, bad joke, Mark. Okay, uh, but, but people are watching what God is doing and they're saying like, this just looks like drunk people. And, and Peter steps up and he's like, they're not drunk. God is moving though. He says, this is exactly what's happening. Verse 16, no, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. 
And then he goes on to explain it and say this. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He quotes the prophet Joel there. He goes on to say in verse 22, people of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. King David said this about him, I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself for he died and was buried and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. So God is moving in this moment. The life and ministry of Jesus have been an incredible thing and they were part of God's timeline that even led to this moment where, where God sent the Holy Spirit and where the church really became established. The church previously had been this, this small group of believers and we see in this moment that 3,000 people were added to their number. And so let's just go on record as saying that this is incredible. God has been moving and working and Peter sees this opportunity and steps up and says, hey, if you're not connecting the dots here, if you're not tracking with the timeline, here's what God set in motion. Here's how we, we needed God. Here's how Jesus is the answer to what we need and the emptiness that we know and feel in life. And here's how we can know Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus. Here's how we can be found in Jesus and we can live our lives for Jesus in response and in, in worship to Jesus. And, and he ties all those loose ends together and... And we see this incredible moment happen. 
And what can, we, what can we learn from this? What can we see in this? That there are moments in your life where God is moving. There are situations and circumstances and, and, and things that you feel like you maybe don't control, but you're just getting to be a part of and you're watching. But I want you to know this, that we need to take opportunities to share the gospel. We need to take opportunities to share the gospel. I don't know when, when Peter woke up that morning, if he, that morning, if he thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead uh, 3,000 people to the Lord today. I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, it feels, I feel pretty good. I feel like I got a 3,000 person gospel in me. Let's see what we can do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stretch the, the muscles out and let's, let's, let's do this. And yet God was moving. God was working. God was going ahead of him and God used him in this moment to see this happen. What does it look like for us to take opportunities? Well, we have to see where God is moving and get involved. I'm assuming if you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christian, that you can look at, at something that you're connected to. It might be a Bible study that you lead. It might be a movement group that you're in. It might be a friend that you've been talking to. And you could say, God is moving in that family or God is moving in my neighbor or God is moving at work. And maybe this person doesn't know it or these people don't know it, but God is there and God's doing something. And I wanna be there when he moves. If we wanna take opportunities to share the gospel, we have to see where God is moving and get involved. And we have to know the gospel and we have to verbalize the gospel. When this, when this moment became available, Peter wasn't like, uh, does, does, does someone have a video we can play that can explain all this? Or does someone, does someone have one of those pamphlets that Christians like that we could just read and maybe it would answer all their questions? No, in this moment, he said, here's what God has been doing. Here's how God has been working. Here is the answer that you've been looking for. Jesus is the answer. He proclaimed that to this group of people and they understood that. And that's an amazing thing. And yet sometimes I think as we read this, this, this one event, we, we think that it's a blueprint for all time. And I don't mean to say that, that God has changed or God's character has changed or that, that we have a different Holy Spirit. We have the exact same Holy Spirit that led 3,000 people to him that day. And, and yet I don't know if this, this chapter is, is a blueprint because the rest of the book of Acts looks much different. The rest of the book of Acts spans multiple decades and we see a lot of things changing. We see that the, the Holy Spirit shows up in this moment, the gospel goes out, the apostles go out, but there's some persecution, right? Being a Christian is, is not all, all fine and dandy and some of these people are put to death and stoned and, and bullied and kicked out of cities and, and these apostles are going out and they're starting churches and they're having conversations and they're traveling and everything's not exactly like this chapter. Now, again, that doesn't mean that God has changed. That doesn't mean that his character has changed. But I think sometimes the method and the way that we share the gospel, the way that we live on mission can look a lot different from, from this moment that we've already had a snapshot of. And so I wanna fast forward us to Acts chapter 17. If you wanna turn over a couple of pages, this is a couple years later. This is around two decades later, 19, 20 years later, as the church has been growing, as the church has been moving and as the gospel has gone forward, this is what it looks like to live on mission in a very normal snapshot out of the book of Acts. This is what it looks like to live on mission in the times of the early church and these believers in Acts chapter 17, verse one. It says this, Paul and Silas then traveled through the towns of Amphipolis and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures to reason with the people. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. 
that snapshot looks different. Let's move down. Verse 10, it says this, Paul and Silas are in Berea. And it says this, that very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. And as a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. But when some Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, they went there and stirred up trouble. The believers acted at once, sending Paul onto the coast while Silas and Timothy remained behind. Those escorting Paul went with him all the way to Athens. Then they returned to Berea with instructions for Silas and Timothy to hurry and join them. Even when things are going good, there's a difference in this culture and in the climate there. Verse 16 says this, Paul's preaching in Athens. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians as well as the foreigners in Athens seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. Verse 22, so Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of the altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him, we live and move and exist. As some of your very own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysus, a member of the council, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. This chapter is kind of the same story, kind of the same feel, and yet looks completely different. We see believers being consistent. We see believers sharing the gospel. We see believers saying, hey, whatever you've experienced, you need to know that God's plan for history, his story, God has been building all of this timeline so that you could know Jesus. We see believers publicly and passionately proclaiming that, and, and yet the result is very different. Acts chapter two, it, it seems like the, it's a softball toss and Peter just walks up and says, I'm gonna hit a home run today, right? And, and everyone in the room comes to know Jesus and it's great. And here's what you need to know about that, that culture and that climate there. There was a religious 
group of people. It was a religious area and, and moment in culture and people were connecting a lot of the dots. And so Peter just had to kind of run the ball across the goal line. In fact, he even was able to assume that these people have the same morals as me, that they have some knowledge of scripture. He was able to quote Joel and he was able to say, hey, you've, you kind of know this and you kind of know this. Let me connect the dots. Here's what God's doing, right? Right. And they all said, yeah, this is wonderful. And I don't mean to belittle that, but I just mean to say that the rest of the book of Acts looks very different. And I think the rest of the book of Acts looks a lot like the culture that we find ourselves in, right? It looks like a postmodern culture. It looks like a culture where we live in town with a large university where a lot of people are claiming to have a lot of truth and they're, they're claiming to have everything figured out. And, and maybe people aren't going to always be excited about Christians living on mission and telling the gospel. And yet the gospel doesn't change. God doesn't change. God's character doesn't change. Truth doesn't change, and our job description to live on mission is unchanging. But we see these, these believers, we see Paul and Silas going and, and sharing the gospel. And sometimes they're laughed at. Sometimes they're mocked. Sometimes they're persecuted. Sometimes they're kicked out of town. And sometimes things don't end up going like they want. So what does it look like for us to live on mission in a culture like this? Because we can't always pretend that we live in an Acts 2 culture. We can't pretend that this is the 1940s. And when you say to your neighbor, hello, friend, would you like to go to the Billy Graham crusade tonight at the baseball park? That they'll say, yes, I would. Tell me more about your Jesus, right? That doesn't happen in that way anymore. And so we have to figure out what does it look like to live on mission in modern times? And we said that we need to take opportunities to share the gospel. And sometimes God goes before us and does amazing things. Here's something else I want you to know. We need to make opportunities to share the gospel. And I don't mean to, I don't mean to make us into God. I don't mean to say that, that we're moving people's minds and hearts, but I mean to say that God has given us a job description. God has put us on mission. God has put you in the workplace that you're in. God has put you in the neighborhood, in the apartment, in the dorm, in the major you're in, in the friend circle you're in, in the fam, family that you're in. God has put you in all of those places and he wants you to be the gospel and to live on mission in that context. And so you and I need to make opportunities to share the gospel. What does it look like to make opportunities to share the gospel? We need to live the gospel. That's what we see in Acts 17 here. What are these guys doing in, in people's lives? Well, they're, they're present. They're friendly. They're normal. You ever notice how often self-proclaimed Christians and religious people struggle so much to be friendly and present and normal? Just me? Okay, I've noticed that. And, and I don't want to be friends with some Christians. And so I think it's up to us to live on mission and look different. They're, they're present, they're friendly, they're, they're real people and they're answering questions and they're, they're addressing doubts, right? They're, they're at the synagogue week after week after week. When they would show up to a town, they would be there. They would let their presence speak for itself. People would know that they, they weren't going away, that they were there, that they were committed and they were talking to people. Oh, you believe this? Well, let me tell you what I believe. That's happening in your life. Let me tell you what scripture says about that. This has been going on. Here's, here's something that I think that, that God says in, in scripture. Let me just, let me point you to this. That's what it looks like to, to live the gospel. And then you can do what we already talked about. You can take an opportunity when God brings about that opportunity. You can see where God is moving. You can get involved. You can know the gospel and you can verbalize the gospel. And I've lived both of these stories on, on two fronts. When we moved to Columbus about 12 years ago, my wife and I, we, we, we bought our first house. And, and not, after, uh, not long after that, I met my, my neighbor and his name was Andy. And he shared with me that, that he had grown up in a Jewish family. 
He shared with me that he had, he had gone to, to a Jewish synagogue. He had been raised in a Jewish school and, and he'd actually even been a religious studies major at Villanova. And so he knew tradition. He knew Jewish tradition. He knew scripture. He knew the Old Testament. And we started talking and we hit it off and we became friends. And over time, I, I started to watch as he had more and more questions. And honestly, I started to watch as his life began to unravel in some, some major ways. I watched as, as his marriage fell apart and I, I watched as we would just talk about what God was doing and, and, and how he felt like in some ways he was losing control and, and he knew a lot about the Old Testament, but he would share that he'd been taught that he should care about these festivals and these practices and, 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 and being good enough for God and it felt like it wasn't enough. And so I explained to him that I, it wasn't enough. That's why Jesus came and, and completed the, the new covenant. That's why the New Testament existed where, where God says, listen, you're gonna try to be enough on your own and you're going to try to be good enough and you're going to try to be a super dad and a super employee and everything that we do is just not enough because we're, we're defined by sin and we're, we're going to let people down. We're going to let ourselves down. And yet Jesus knew that that was the case, but he came to this world anyway, knowing that we weren't good enough, knowing that we didn't deserve to be in relationship with God. And he freely gave his life and died on the cross to remove sin from our lives so that we could know God and have a relationship with God. I explained to my friend Andy that that's, what grace is. Grace is something that you don't deserve, but you're freely given. And one night he called me at like 1140 on a Saturday and he said, I, I need grace in my life. He knew who God was. He knew that he needed God, but he didn't understand how to have a relationship with God. And, and as he came to understand the grace of Jesus and Jesus giving himself freely, he knew that he wanted to invite Jesus into his life. That was a softball toss, right? When you have someone move in next door that, that already knows the Old Testament, and you just have to be like, hey, let me tell you the end of the story. Here's a, a better example. About a year ago, I got an email from someone that had been attending church here. His name was Tyler. And he said, hey, I've uh, been coming on Sundays with my friends. We always go out to brunch afterwards. I think they'd been tricking him into coming to church for brunch. Take notes of that, guys. All right. Uh, and he said, I wanna, I wanna talk about uh, spiritual things. And I was like, okay, we'll come into the office and, and we'll talk. And I met this guy, I heard his story. And, and at the end, I still didn't really understand. I said, uh, so you wanna, you wanna do like a, a Bible study? And he's like, no, no, hold, hold up, hold up. Um, I, don't, I don't really, I don't, I don't think I believe in God. I really, I don't think I believe in the Bible. I don't, I don't wanna read it. And I was like, oh, you wanna know what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Okay, well, there's this really famous pastor named Francis Chan and he wrote this book named Multiply and we're reading through it with a bunch of people. And, and he's like, no, no, hold up, hold up. I, uh, when I was in college, uh, someone actually tricked me into already reading that book and it was really boring and I didn't get it. And I was like, oh, okay, well, those are the two things we normally do with people. What are, what are you asking? And he said, I want to talk about, does God exist? I don't, I don't know where I'm at on that topic and just so many things that are foundational. I can't even assume where I'm at to even begin reading the Bible. And, and so we, we started reading the book, A Case for Faith. Many of you might've been around a couple months ago. We did a series on that that was inspired by this interaction because there are a lot of people who just haven't even answered the question, does God exist? Is God real? Can I trust God? Can I trust his word? Why do bad things happen to good people? And, and we talked through all these concepts, Tyler and I, we talked through evolution and creation and so many things that he was just processing. And it wasn't after we read one chapter that he said, I want to I wanna give my life to your God. I want to live for Jesus. It wasn't after the first time that we went out for ice cream that he said, I'm ready to be a Christian. 
I, I gave this guy everything I had, right? I, I had him over to my house and I told my kids, you need to be as cute as possible tonight. So just like, you know, live it, however you got to do it. And, and it, that stuff didn't matter. We had his girlfriend over and it, it, it just didn't seemed to matter, but we were building a relationship. We were building a connection. And as he had questions, we would talk about it. And as he had doubts, we would talk about it. And as we studied scripture, he began to see that, that, that God had a plan for him and that, that God was real and that scripture was talking to him and that Jesus was the answer to his doubts and Jesus was the, the piece of God's plan that he hadn't seen and that Jesus was the missing component in his life. And as we read the last chapter of that book, he realized that he didn't have to be perfect He didn't have to have life figured out. He was allowed to have doubts. But at the core of where he was at, he realized that he had a need for a relationship with Jesus and he gave his life to Jesus. Now, I don't don't say that to to toot my own horn. I wish I had like a hundred Tyler stories I could tell you, but I, I I just wanna tell you that there are moments in life that you can make opportunities to share the gospel, that God will bring people into your life, that God will put you in situations, that God will give you knowledge. God has given us the Holy Spirit. God has given us scripture and God has brought about situations where you can help walk people into a relationship with Jesus and God will allow you to do that if you're watching where he's moving, if you know the gospel, and if you're willing to to verbalize the gospel. But so often as as Christ followers, we we sit back and we think like, well, I'm gonna just let that happen and we'll see what happens. And and culture is not the same. We live this Acts 2 mindset in an Acts 17 culture. and, and, And sometimes the church and the Christians just have to admit that things are different. Well, here's, here's a list that I wanna, I wanna give us today. What does it look like to share the gospel missionally in a post-Christian world? Because times are changing, culture is changing, the world is changing, and we can't just invite people to event-based things and ask them to just surrender their lives to Jesus. So here's some things I want you to know as you share your faith and live on mission, that Christians are no longer the majority. Some of you were like, yeah, duh. Have you, have you been outside recently, Mark? Have you watched this news channel? Have you seen what's going on? I want you to know that because some people don't know that. Some people get so mad. Can you believe the world believes this? Can you believe that they vote for this? And they, Yes, I can believe that. They don't have Jesus. How do you expect them to vote? What do you expect them to believe? How do you expect them to view the world if they don't have Jesus? They're lost. And people who are lost are the majority. And so you need to approach the world knowing that, that maybe some of the things that you believe, some of the things that are based out of the Bible, some of the things that are based out of scripture are not just gonna be neutral where someone will say like, eh, I don't know if I believe that. You might actually be looked down upon for, for having a belief or for holding to a standard of the Bible and that's fine. You just need to know where you're working from as you live on mission. Christians are no longer the majority. You need to know that evangelism will take longer. We've already talked about this, right? But evangelism will take longer. You may have someone move in next door that says, tell me about your Jesus, I wanna know him. And that could happen, right? And it might just be that God puts someone in the cubicle next to you who's gone through their third divorce and can't pay their bills and just found out that their mom has cancer and you have to work through those things one at a time and talk through those things and be a friend through those things and pray for them and point them to scripture and invite them to your house and watch their kids and help them out with their rent and do everything that you have to do so that they can see the gospel in you as you live on mission evangelism will take longer. It doesn't mean that evangelism doesn't need to take place. It doesn't mean that God has changed, that God's character has changed, or that the gospel is not important, or that it's not your job and my job to take the gospel to the world. It just means don't act shocked if it takes a little longer. 
Evangelism will take longer. Here's the, the good part, that we, we should target the same audience as Jesus. Jesus was oftentimes speaking to, to, to entire crowds of people, but here's what we see with Jesus. He was speaking to crowds that were already interested in him. He was speaking to crowds that were already following him. He's speaking to people that, that were kind of wondering, what's going on with this Jesus guy? Because they had a need, they had a desire, and they wanted the fulfillment of that desire. There are people in your life who are showing an interest in spiritual things. There are people in your life who have need. There are people in your life where God is moving and it's pretty obvious. Live on mission with those people, with, with your interested audience. There's someone in your life that said, hey, what's that, uh, what's that group you always go to on Sunday nights? There's someone that said, hey, I, I saw you reading your Bible at lunch. What was that about? Hey, you go to crew on Sunday nights. Everyone else in our dorm is still kind of working through their hangover. Why do you do that? That's your interested audience that you can share with. Here's another thing we need to do to live missionally in a post-Christian world. We need to learn love and sacrifice, right? We need to, to find the, the tension between loving people and, and serving people and making the gospel attractive and yet making the gospel compelling, Christians do a great job at telling people how to act and Christians do a great job at saying, I'm not gonna do that, I'm this, I'm perfect. And yet we're not just loving and serving people and sacrificing for people. And so we do a great job at being religious and not a great job at being followers of Jesus. We need to learn love and sacrifice. Here's one final important one. The priesthood of the believer is more important than ever. In the Old Testament, we see that people did not really talk to God and not have a relationship with God. They would offer sacrifices. They would, they would kind of communicate through the priests and through the temple. And, and in the New Testament, when Jesus came, he, he tore the veil of the temple and he erased all of that. And because of his sacrifice and his death, burial, and resurrection, we can talk directly to him. We have a direct relationship with Jesus, communicating with God the Father. And we are the priests, Right? We are the ones who can do ministry. We are the ones who've been gifted the Holy Spirit. We are the ones who are called. We are the ones who are living on mission. And so I want to say this very gently that sometimes we like to think that it's someone else's job to tell our friends about Jesus. Maybe it's the Christian radio station's job, right? And so we'll give a little extra money and hope that our friend knows that that, that station exists. Maybe, maybe we invite our friend over to someone's house and we say, this is my friend who's a really good Christian. Do you have anything you, wanna, you guys want to talk about? I'll be honest, sometimes I think inviting your friend to church is a wonderful thing, but I know people who only do that. And I wanna say this as humbly as possible. It's not my job to win your friend to Jesus. It's my job to equip you to win your friend to Jesus. And so you live in the neighborhood that you live in because God puts you there. That's why I don't live in that neighborhood, right? You live in the dorm that you live in because God puts you there. And I'll probably never, I'll probably never set foot in that dorm. You work at the company or own the company that you own because God put you there for a reason. And I'm not gonna be at that company and your strong Christian friend's not gonna be at that company. And so it's your job to live out the priesthood of the believer. It's your job to live on mission and take opportunities to share the gospel and make opportunities to share the gospel. So if you're gonna walk out of here remembering something, Remember that sometimes we, we live in an Acts 2 mindset. We need to live in an Acts 17 mindset of living on mission. You and I need to take and make opportunities to share the gospel. And that means that we need to live the gospel. That means that we need to be looking for where God is, is working and active and moving and we need to get involved and we need to know the gospel and, and verbalize the gospel and be ready to see God move. 
because God doesn't change. God's character doesn't change. Our job description doesn't change. Scripture doesn't change. The good news of Jesus doesn't change. It's our job to help people find their way back to God. It's our job to say, Jesus has worked in my life. Jesus is real in my life. You need Jesus in your life. If you wanna know more information today about what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus, we would love to talk to you at the Next Steps table. I'd love to to just have a moment to tell you the difference that Jesus has made in my life. And I hope that if you have a relationship with Jesus this week, you'll take serious to live on mission and let the world see the difference that Jesus has made in your life. Not just to the point that you're willing to say, I'm gonna wear that Christian t-shirt today, but to the point that you're gonna go and initiate a conversation with someone because you know they need Jesus. You're gonna invite someone to your house because you know that they need Jesus. You're gonna offer to to babysit for the single mom that lives in your neighborhood because you know that that's how you can love and serve her and let her see Jesus in you. It's our job to make opportunities so that we can verbalize the gospel so that people can see Jesus in us. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the mission that you've called us on, Lord. You've, You've made it very clear that we have the gospel and the gospel is for the world. And so God, we just... We pray that this week you'll give us boldness to live truth. Lord, help us to to know when to love people, when to serve people, when to talk to people, when to be quiet, when to be silent, when to just simply tell our story and say the difference you've made in our lives. God, help us us make opportunities this week. Help Help us grow your church and advance the gospel because it's the mission we've been called on. It's the mission that we want to live. It's the way that we want to respond with our lives to worship. So God, we give you this week. We ask that you will guide us with your Holy Spirit. And God, I pray if there's anyone in the room that wants to trust you for the first time, that you'll give them the courage to pursue that and talk about that today, Lord. It's in your name I pray, amen.